heritage. Uh, I have uh, grand, two grandfathers that both served in the military. And I am so thankful for those that have served, those that are serving, and those that will serve. They are special. Can we just honor them today with a big thank you? Can we do that? And I want to say thank you to all of those that are watching online today. We appreciate you for coming out and being a part of this. I know that we've got many that are on the road. Uh, we knew that, knew that was going to be a part of today's. Uh, last week we were on the road uh, during this time, was able to actually listen to the service and was glad to get to do that. It's always important for us to be able to hear the word. And we enjoyed Pastor Matthew Carpenter, and I know that it was a challenge for him to even get here. We didn't know it until later uh, that he had to be shuttled in. Uh, but we're thankful for Pastor Matthew coming and the, the guys that came with them over from the assembly. And he texted me this week, and I shared that text with those that were in on Wednesday night, him talking about this church. You know, every time we have a special guest come in to this service, regardless of where they come from, they speak to me or they speak a word over this church talking about the, the special gift that God has placed over this house and a lot of times we don't understand how good and how grateful we should be for what God has given you not necessarily your pastor maybe not necessarily these that are singing up here but there's something special in this house there's something that God has blessed us with I was watching this morning a little piece of an online service of a friend of mine that I went to college with, and it was it was good what I saw. But I thought, Lord, we we've been so blessed here with what you've given to us, and so I want to thank you this morning for being here. I know you could have you could have been somewhere else. I know you could have chosen to be off this Memorial Day weekend and, and went somewhere. But I'm thankful that you're here today, and we're grateful for you that are watching online and those that are have chosen to be here with us in service. Now I want to do something. We're going to kick off a brand new series called the Blue. For the next four weeks, which should lead us into Father's Day, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the blueprint of the church. We're going to be talking about the structure, the vision, the mission of the church. What I realize is this, is that most people want to know where you are and where you're going. They want to know where you're at and where you're going, especially if it's a business-minded person. They want to know that. Does the church have some kind of structure? We do, according to this Bible. We follow it. We go by it. But we also set, according to the Bible, we set out a structure for this church. And some people sometimes will say, Pastor, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And what we have started to do is we look and see what the vision, the mission of the church is. And if it falls within that, then we realize that's something we need to do. If it doesn't fall within that, then we just don't do it. We just don't spend our time, money, or energy on that. And we try, the very first thing that we try to do is to reach those people that are far from God, those that have, are not uh, living for the Lord. I think, I honestly believe that the church as a whole, everybody paying attention for just a few moments, is that the church as a whole if we're not careful, can become very selfish and self-centered because we want church to be all about what we want church to be about. If it doesn't tickle our fancy, they don't sing our songs, they don't, the preacher isn't the right preacher that's preaching or whoever it is, then we just don't come to church. When we fail to remember that the body of Christ that is the church have, are the hands and feet of Jesus and that our whole mission is to do and to be about what Jesus was about, and that was to seek and to save the lost. 
that the church was never intended just to be an institution. It was never intended to be institutionalized to make people happy, to make them feel like. You see, when your heart really aligns with what God's Word says, then you will want to be about the Father's business, which is reaching others. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not fed. That doesn't mean that we're not to grow. That doesn't mean that we're not to come and hear the Word and enjoy the Word and be happy in God's house. You should be. You should be. Amen. I don't want to go to a place where I'm unhappy. I want to go to a place where I am happy. But it doesn't mean that if I don't feel happy on Sunday morning, I just don't show up. Because if I went by my feelings, I might would have stayed in bed this morning and fellowship with Pastor Pillar and Sister Sheets and just listened online. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We want to share with you for the next uh, four weeks. And I'll share with you this quickly, and we're going to get into the Scriptures. And I'll, Let me tell you where you can turn at so you can go and just be getting on page there. We're not going to go there, but Ephesians chapter 1, if you'll just get there. And we're going to talk for just a few minutes about that. Jesus made a very strong statement in the Bible, and I'm not going to read this to you, but I'm just going to share it with you, that I believe is the part of the framework of which he was talking about when he talked about the church. He told Simon Peter, he said, upon this rock, I will build, look at this, my church. And if you look that word, my, up, if you really want to just study that out, what you find is it's a very possessive word. It means that he loves us. We are his bride. Do you understand that? We are the bride of Christ. And I have people that will say, I love the church. And it's true, I love the church. But you have to be careful that you don't fall more in love with the church than you do the God that you serve. Because the truth of it is, we are the bride of Christ. It's wrong to be in love with another woman's, another man's wife. Come on, it's, it's good if you think about it for just a few minutes. We are the bride of Christ. We belong to Christ. But Jesus said, he said, upon this rock I will build my church. And there is... More than one church building. There are many church buildings. There are many denominations. There are many religions. I'll have people ask me, and this is part of why we're going through this. I have had people ask me, so what religion are we? If they find out that I'm a pastor, this week I was had the opportunity to minister to somebody, to talk to somebody, and the, one of the things they're going to ask you is, is what religion are you? Or they're going to ask you, what denomination are you? Can I tell you something? That it really doesn't matter what religion or what denomination. Even though I love the church of God, I love that. And when I say that, I'm telling you that if you have a misconception that getting to heaven is about a religion or denomination, you're going to miss heaven. But if you have an understanding that knowing God is all about a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ then you get a good understanding of where you're going and and how to get there. Amen? You can't work it out. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 teaches us we can't work it out to get there. So there are many churches. You know what? I I heard a guy say this. There are a lot of different ships. And and we believe that when they teach the Bible and they they give the Word of God, that we need to pray for them in our community. And here's the thing we believe, though. We believe that you need to be planted in a local church. 
And not only do you need to be planted, planted means I'm not going here, there, and everywhere. I have made up my mind that I'm going to plant myself here. I'm getting the word and I'm going to get plugged in. Now, plugged in is a word that you're going to hear me use, which means I understand, I'm beginning to understand what my purpose on earth is. I'm beginning to understand that God has more for me, that there is more to this than what I originally thought. And we believe that's a part of of your life. And the only way that you're going to ever understand and be fulfilled in your life is when you gather the fact that God has more for you. Amen. Amen. I believe that God is a God of order. When you read the Bible, we see an order that God sets into order, and we need order in our life. Some of you mothers want order with your kids. You give them specific times that they need to get up, get ready for bre- get breakfast, get to school. They do all of those things. It's an order. You want an order. When they come in, there should be some type of order to what they're doing, preparing for the next day, maybe getting ready for supper. You know what that is. God is a God of order. Everywhere you read in the Scriptures, you're going to find that God is a God of order. And so what I want to share to you is share with you over the next four weeks is how important it is that you and I understand that knowing God is the first order of business. That you can't get anywhere else in this thing without knowing God. You can sign your name on a membership roll. You can, you can do a lot of different things. You can work in the church. You can do a lot of stuff. But if you don't know God, you're in trouble. And we're not talking about a generic God. We're talking about the God, God Jehovah. We're talking about about Jesus' uh, Father. We're talking about the one that we serve today. Are you with me? Amen. So what we've got to do is have order restored in our lives in order to be able to live according to what the Word of God teaches us. So the mission of this church is very simple. We've preached this before or we've shared this with you. And I try to do this about every two, maybe three years to try to give you some kind of understanding of where we're at, where we're going. We did a series back a year or so back called uh, uh, God First. And the mission or the vision of this church, and the mission of this church is very simple. It is that we are to lead people into a God First life. Everybody say God First life. God first life. If you put God first in your life, that means that everything else in your life has to come second. When Bethany and I are praying over each other, each day when we pray for each other and we hold hands and we pray over our family and our marriage and we're praying for you, we pray that the first thing is first in our life, that God is first and present in our marriage. Come on, somebody. And that everything else has to fall into that order that God would have for them. Are you with me? Why do we do that? Well, Matthew 6.33 teaches, and I'm just kind of sharing with you a little bit here, that we're to seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. In other words, we're to do that first, and then everything else will line up. All these other things will be added to you. They will come into order. God, somebody say, is a God of order. So then we go from there to talk about the vision. Now, the the mission of the church starts with God. The vision of the church starts with you. And what is it, what do you mean by that? You're going to notice out above the giving or above the kiosk in the back back there, uh, our guest services kiosk that we're putting these up on the wall. And so this morning the first one's out there, and that is number one that you know God. That's what we, this is what this is all about, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Simply knowing God in this blueprint. 
Secondly, that you find or discover or find freedom. And then thirdly, that you discover purpose. And fourthly, that you make a difference. And I'm going to talk a lot to fathers on that day, but to every but everyone is going to gather something great from that. So if these are in place in your life, then you're able to live a fulfilled life. We did some teaching and some study on Wednesday night to find out that about 87% of the evangelical church does not, they don't know, they don't live a fulfilled life because they don't really know why they exist. They don't know why they're in the church. They don't know why God called them, what God's called them to. And it isn't just that you're holding a microphone or you're singing a song or that you're leading a prayer team. There are so many areas that God can call you to. So we need to understand that the first things are first, and that is that you know God, and that way your life can be fulfilled. Somebody say, I want my life to be fulfilled. Amen. So our our values are something like this. We want to have and to live and to have a God-first life. We want to be very intentional about what we do on Sunday mornings because we believe that our Sunday morning services have a lot to do with the lost. Most people will show up to a Sunday morning service if they're invited. The reason that most people don't come that are your neighbors, the people you know, is because you've never invited them. Most people are waiting. When, you, when we do the study on it, we find out that when the church is intentional, then the lost do come. But just putting on the sign, uh, uh, visitors welcome, will not bring them. It'll never bring them. You will. And then the third thing is this, that we are authentic, that we're real, that we're genuine, that I'm the same person that you see uh, during the week as you do on Sunday morning or I, on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm very real. You're should, you should be very real. Then, then we're diverse. We're a diverse group of people. It isn't just about a certain nationality or a certain race in the church. It's about all of them. Amen. Come on, somebody. And then we're hospitable. What do you mean by that? That we've got people that are, that are uh, making you welcome when you come through these doors. When you walk into this church, they know who you are. That's one of the things that I do continue to hear over and over and over again is how welcome people feel. And then lastly is this, and I'm just kind of putting this out, kind of giving you a foundation here, is that we're others focused. We cannot be focused inwardly all the time. And many times we find ourselves, uh, you know, inwardly turned. We're looking to ourselves to try to, you know, we want to make sure that we're happy. We want to make sure that we got things going on the way that we do. So how can we know God? What are the primary ways that you can know God? First of all, the Word. Now, I'm going to read to you the Word, pieces of the Word today. I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to break it down. But as an individual, you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be looking and reading your Bible. You need to be studying on it. You need to be meditating on the Word of God day and night. You need to have it hid in your heart. You need to know something about the Word of God. Secondly, is through worship. We come together and we worship God in these services. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're creating a weekend experience. And now a lot of times that's what we refer to it as Why not weekend worship? Well, a lot of your people who don't know God understand an experience, but they don't understand what worship is. Are you with me? They don't know what worship is. So we create an an experience that the unchurched. Now, if all you're trying to do is make sure that church people feel comfortable in church, you can call it all the church things you want to call it, and they understand that. But when you're talking to people who don't know God, who don't have a relationship with God, who don't have church experience, then you have basically 
took them and put them to the corner and they don't get it. They don't understand it. So we believe that it's important, first of all, that you do know God. And we create that uh, place. Next week, we're going to talk about finding freedom. We're going to talk about our small groups or house to house, how we what we do in that. And we're not just going to talk about the small groups, but we're going to talk about walking in, how in context walking together helps you to walk in freedom. We need to connect with other people. You can't just do it on a Sunday morning. Some of you get to see me here on Sunday morning, and that's the only time you see me. You're not here on Wednesday night, even though we're here most Wednesday nights. And we, But you need to be connected to a small group. That We're in small groups. We're in multiple small groups. We lead small groups. Bethany and I do. So it's important that you connect with somebody else. We have people tell us that the way they came to church, ended up staying at church, was connecting to a small group at church. Are you with me? So they need to do that. The third thing that we'll learn is discovering purpose. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that. And that's how, you know, we have people that will come in. They're here for a service or two. How can we join the church? What's our pathway to figuring that out? And so we want to go into, and we're going to share with you later on how we can do that. And then lastly would be make a difference. We believe that greatness comes from serving others. If you want to make a difference in, the, in your life, serve somebody else. Do something for somebody else that you, wouldn't do, that you haven't done for yourself. Reach out to somebody else and serve somebody else. If you want to know fulfillment in your life, if you really want to know purpose in your life, I believe, and if you want to identify with the character of Jesus, then you need to be a servant of all. That means you're willing to serve. And when we help you figure out what it is that you're supposed to be doing, and that is my purpose, that's part of my purpose, it may be that it is greeting at the door. Maybe your gift is, is singing, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's children's ministry. Maybe it's the gift of hospitality. Maybe it's opening up your home for a small group. This is a gift. This is something that God can use you for. I know people that they're not really gifted to speak. They're not gifted to lead a small group, but they are gifted in the gift of hospitality, which means I don't mind having people over. I don't mind them messing up my house a little bit. I don't mind even preparing some food, making sure that they can come over. We don't mind that. We, that is a gift, and that's something that God can use you for. And so we want to share that with you. So here's my thing, and we're going to get into Ephesians 1. The thoughts that I'm sharing with you in this message are the thoughts that keep me awake. They're the things that I think about a lot because I want to know as a pastor that I'm shepherding you according to God's Word, not according to just what I think. My responsibility to you as a pastor is to make sure that you're succeeding at the right things. That we're not just doing a bunch of things and that you're trying to figure that out. But first of all, that you know Jesus. That's what I need. I need you to know Jesus. And not only do I need, listen to this, not only do I need you to know Jesus, but I need you to be willing to make Jesus known to somebody else. We have the greatest gift that we could ever have as a church. I look across here and I know many of you know your names, know many of you claim to be saved, you love God, you care about Jesus, you know the Lord. But how many of us are actually reaching out and making Jesus famous to somebody else? How many of us are actually reaching out so that they can know God? I don't know why it is, but 
church people, the more they get in church, it seems like a lot of times, the more they're in, the more they say, well, I, we think church ought to be this, and so we want to uh, go deeper. Let me tell you something. God gave you His Word, and He gave you the power of the Holy Spirit, and you need that. And I'm going to say something very bold here that's going to seem maybe a little bit hard, but a lot of times when people say, I just need to go deeper, you know what they're saying? I want it to be a little more confusing a little more hard, and it doesn't need to be that way. If we're trying to reach the world, then it doesn't need to be hard. It doesn't need to be difficult. As a believer, I can go deeper. That's what Wednesday nights are for. That's what our small groups are for. That's why we we choose to do that, because we know that that is going to help you grow in the Lord to reach somebody else. But for people who show up on a Sunday morning worship experience, they don't know enough about God to get them turned out back out to the road anywhere. And they need you. They need me. They need somebody that can share the gospel and make Jesus known to them in a very simple way. I got to share this week with somebody real quickly. And I, he said something to me that was very, uh, was talking about fishing. He was talking about uh, fishing, and he said, I bet you don't have or take a lot of time to fish. And I said, I honestly don't. He was actually looking at behind my house where this boat was, and the boat, you couldn't even get it out because there's just so much water, uh, so much water and mud and all this stuff. And I said, you know, I just really hasn't really used it a whole lot lately. And he said something to me that really stuck out to me. It stood out to me. He said, you probably don't get to use it much. He said, you're probably more, of a, probably more of a fisher of men. And then he said something that really stood out to me. He said, I used to be. I need everybody to listen to what I'm about to tell you. As I began to talk to him, I didn't jump in and try to, you know, diffuse his problem to figure out what it was. The more we talked, the more the relationship was built, the more that we got an opportunity to be around. And he found out that I was authentic, that I was genuine, that I wasn't just trying to be fake with him. I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, you mentioned to me that you used to. And he began to share with me. And then I, I said, he shared with me kind of what happened, not into long detail. And here's what he said. I became very disillusioned with church. You know what he was telling me? That church became more of a religious experience than it did a relationship with Jesus. Because the more you fall in love with Jesus, the less you'll fall in love with religion. Because religion, religious people were who hung Jesus on the cross. They were the people that hung him on the cross. Now, I know some people would say, well, you know, religions of the world, you're talking about, listen to what I'm saying. I'm trying to get you to know when you understand and you know God, it's a lot simpler than what we've made it in the past. All right, let me go to the Word so I can get done because I don't have a lot of time. You got about 20 minutes maybe? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. This was the fir- one of the first prayers that Paul prayed over the church of Ephesus. He would, he would pray prayers over different churches, but this is one of the first prayers that he would pray. I want you to hear what he said. This is from the New Living Translation, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Look at this. To give you spiritual wisdom and insight. Look at this. So that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Somebody say, no God. He says in verse 18, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with the light. Somebody say, find freedom. When, you're, when your heart's been flooded with the light, you're going you're gonna to begin to experience freedom so that you can understand the confident hope that He has given to those He has called. That's discovering your purpose. That's figuring out why you are called. Look at this. His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. The latter part of that, and this is not going to be in these verses, and I didn't, I didn't put this up on the screen, but it says this in verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in Him. That's when you understand this, how you can make a difference. I want to give you, just in just a few minutes, the context of a verse that we're going to put up in just a moment. It's called Jeremiah 29, 11. If I say that verse, some of you are thinking, I think I know that. That's the verse that talks about that I've got hope, that there's something great about me. There's something that God wants to do in my life that's greater than what I ever thought. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you've done. Lord, for the time that I have to just take a moment, Lord, to teach, Lord, because that's what I'm really trying and wanting to do is to teach this word today. Lord, that again, our ears would be open, that our understanding, our, our hearts would be enlightened, Father, to your word. Father, we ask you now to have your way in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. When you think about Jeremiah 29 and 11, we're going, we're going to go to it in just a moment. I love this picture. It was really an impromptu picture. We were trying to figure out a way to use the title not just the blueprint, but for the subtitle, Know God, which is what we're going to talk about today in a unique way. And we've done several things, and Bethany was holding that sign, and in an impromptu way, I just kind of snapped the picture, and out of everything that we took, I said, I like this one the best. I think this is what we need to use. She didn't realize even that I took the picture, but that's what we're going to talk about is knowing God. In Jeremiah 29, 11, I read to you the, the prayer of Paul. If I gave you the little bit of the context of that, that verse, you would find out that when this scripture was written, it was spoken to the children of Israel. The children of Israel was a nation that was under judgment. The reason they were under judgment was because of sin and compromising in their life. The Bible teaches us that they were worshiping idols. They were living their own lifestyle. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had attacked Jerusalem and had conquered them. Look at this. The Israelites are being led into captivity into Jerusalem and they are under judgment and because they're captive, look at this, everything in their world is upside down. We're talking about Jeremiah 29, 11. And it seemed like everything was gone awry, it was wrong. And when they looked at their circumstances, here's what they were seeing and here's what they were hearing. They were seeing, listen to this real quickly, they were seeing, first of all, they're being led out into captivity. When you're captive, you're going into captivity. There's, there's, it looks like no hope. But they're also hearing from the Babylonians, listen to this, God is finished with you. He wants nothing else to do with you. Jerusalem is no more. 
The city of God is no more. You, you are in captivity and there's nothing you can do about it. We have you. And the Babylonians were telling them, look, your God has nothing, wants nothing else to do with you. That's why we've taken you. See, the Babylonians knew the great victories of Israel. They knew how God had protected them. But it seemed as though at this moment, at this time in history, that God had deserted Israel. In the middle of all of this defeat, in the middle of them being led out into captivity, God speaks to them, hear this, a word from Jeremiah 29, 11, And He tells them that their perspective of God is totally wrong. Listen to this, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good. We're being led away captive, God. I don't get this. And not for disaster. I don't want to destroy you. It's not the intention. But to give you a future and hope. That's what God was telling them. Now, I don't know about you today, but I, I just need somebody to hear what I'm about to say on this. I need you to get this. I need you to understand this. God's not mad at you. Wherever you are in life and whatever's going on and whatever circumstances you're in right now, I want you to know that God is declaring over you that His thoughts are good. He knows them. He knows those plans that He has for you. Regardless of how you've messed up, regardless of the mistakes that you've made, regardless of whether you was in church, out of church, living for God, backslidden from God, whatever step you're in on your journey, I want you to know today that God loves you and His plans for you are good. Amen. But Israel misunderstood God's thoughts toward them. And as a matter of fact, they actually, they actually, um, I guess, accused God of, of being upset with them and mad at them and wanting to destroy them. But that wasn't God's purpose or God's plan at all. Have you ever, have you ever understood or you ever thought about how that somebody thinks you think something, but they, you didn't really think it? And that's what they were doing. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, some of you men will relate and you understand this, that if your wife says to you, hey, sweetheart, how, do I look, how does this outfit look on me? Just let me say something to you men right now. There's really no right answer. But the truth of it is, if your answer is delayed when you answer her, that's the wrong answer. Come on, somebody. And, and because it's delayed in your response, look at this. She may speculate, look at this, what you're thinking. And sometimes for us, when God's response to us is delayed, we think, we speculate that God somehow maybe is upset with me. He's mad at me. I'm going to tell you something. Your idea of God and, and truly knowing God can be very different than what God thinks about you and what, what you need to know about it. Let me just share this first point with you. Look at this. The lens you view God with or through is the, mo is the most important. Let me put my glasses on. It will help me. Through is the most important in your ability to know God. In other words, how you see God, your, your image of God, how you look at God can be very important. If you see Him distorted, then it's going to happen to you. If your image of God is distorted, your relationship with God will be strained. Why? Because you see God through an image, look at this, that man has painted. And I'm going to share with you 
a couple of pictures. I've used these pictures before, but I think it's the best way to explain it to you. And if you'll stay with me for a few minutes, we're going to finish. But let me give you this first. They should have a picture. Come on, guys, there it is. Now, if I try to tell you this is a painting of Jesus, and it's, it's, it was Italy or Spain or something like that in a church by a guy by the last name Martinez. It was painted in the 19th century. It was hung in the Sanctuary of Mercy Church uh, in, I think it's called Bourgeois, in the city of, and I can't pronounce it. I don't even going to try and it had been there for over 100 years, okay? And an elderly lady who wanted to help things out, I think she was a, might have been a, somebody that was helping to clean, wanted, decided that the picture of Jesus looked so bad from the original painting that she would try to fix it. Anybody ever thought you could fix something and then you fixed it and it didn't turn out the way you thought it would turn out? She tried to do it herself. Now, I want to show you what... It ended up looking like after she fixed it. Yeah. Bless her heart. Is what folks from the South would have said. Why? Because, look at this, it'll give you a distorted view. This picture, the first one you could have made out, couldn't you, that that was Jesus. This one, I don't know who that is. I'm not sure what happened here except that a very well-meaning elderly lady tried to fix it and it did not work out and it ends up giving us a distorted view of what Jesus would look like. If you don't think that God loves you and you don't think that God is for you, then you may have a distorted view of what God looks like. Come on, somebody. But I got news for you today that God has the blueprint for your life and it's in the Bible. And He really loves you. Come on, somebody. But if you don't accept the fact that God loves you, you will have a distorted view of what God thinks about you. They have something called conceptional blueprint. Anybody ever heard of that? Conceptional blueprint. If you ever watch any kind of building or home buildings, conceptional blueprints... Everything now is digital. So when Bethany watches, sometimes and I'll watch with these, these shows because I get into them too until it starts getting into a project at the house. But this conceptional blueprint is what they do is they take an, maybe a house and they say, we're going to redesign it. We're going to push this wall back and we're going to hang these curtains and we're going to put this island in to, you know, to ground everything. And so they show the digital of what it's supposed to look like. Are you with me? And so... That's in the mind of the person they're selling it to. What It's conceptual. That's what it's supposed to look like. But it's, there are times that it does not. They'll show what the, the conceptual was, and then they'll show what it turned out to be like. And if you're not careful, you can end up with something that you think that's not exactly what God intended. That's the whole, that's the whole thought of this. Just because... Bad things happen to good people does not mean that God's mad at you. God knows how to give back to you more than you ever imagined in your life. And just because it's things in your life or a period of your life or a season of your life did not go like you thought it, 
does not mean that God is mad at you. What are you trying to tell me, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It is the enemy's job in your life. It is his full-time job to distract you, to distort from you the genuine love of God from your life. And a lot of times he does that when you're in pain. A lot of times he does that when there's problems going on and there's circumstances going on in your life. But if the devil can keep you distracted, if he can distort from you the true love of God, that God has some kind of other view of you, that somehow or another you failed God miserably and he wants nothing to do with you anymore, that you're finished, that you're wiped up, that you have made your last mistake, then you will begin to believe a distorted image of who God really is. But when you believe that John 3.16 says, For God so loved this whole wretched world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should have life and have it more abundantly. Then you begin to understand there's a God who loves me regardless of what pit I came from, regardless of what 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 ditch I was drug out of regardless of how low I was in my life God wants a relationship with me he doesn't need a servant he needs somebody who is a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God who understands they have greatness in God I I want you to know God wants you to be great in him he loves you but the enemy wants to distract you you can never base the love of God on a past experience or even your present circumstance You've got to always see God through what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. You can never base God's love on your past. What's happened. What's went on in your life. Or even what's going on right now. You've got to see God's love through what Jesus did at Calvary. Can I tell you something? When I look at Jesus on the cross, when I see what Jesus did for my life, I can understand something regardless of what's went on in my past, regardless of the pain, regardless of the loss, regardless of what I'm facing today or will face tomorrow, that Jesus' love for me and the church will never change. His grace and His mercy will never change. He will love me for eternity regardless of which way I choose to go God never intended for mankind to go to hell the reason that men go to hell is because they choose to pay their own bill but I got good news for you Jesus paid your bill he paid your debt you don't have to All you've got to do is come to him humbly with a a broken spirit, a contrite heart, and say, God, I can't fix this on my own. You're the only one that can. And Jesus, amen, can do it every time. Look, I, I believe that one of the reasons the book of Job was written was to show us and remind us that sometimes bad things happen to good people, but that doesn't change the character or the love of God for his people. Because the Bible teaches me that when Job had lost everything that he had, that God looked down and said, Job, I'm going to give you double for your troubles. I know that you've been through a lot of stuff. I know that you've been through pain. I know you've lost your family. I know that you've lost your house. I know that it seemed like you've lost everything. But I'm a God who can restore everything that the canker worm, the locust, everything that the enemy has tried to steal from you, he has taken from you. I'm able to give it back to you. Not just what you had, but I can give you double for your trouble. I can bless you in ways that no one else can. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I heard something in, in our teaching or we uh, here a few weeks ago and I want to share it with you that are here this morning as we get ready. I've got a, one more little point I want to give to you. And that is to understand that in the first book of the Bible 
the very first story that we find in the Bible other than, Jesus, than God creating the earth. We find in Genesis 2 that there was a choice that was given to Adam and Eve. Everybody say Adam and Eve. They're the first man and woman in the garden. Many of us men know that because we'll say if Adam, you know, if Eve hadn't have eaten of that fruit, not good guys to go there because the truth of it is Adam was responsible for Eve. Okay, now I know he can't, all of her actions, but he is the head of the house. So let me just move into the story real quick. Genesis 2, I'm, I'm going to give you, a, I, I'm not going to read to you from Genesis 2, but I'm going to read to you from Genesis 3, but Genesis 2, God teaches to Adam and Eve a principle. He says there's two trees in the garden, and there's two trees, and he said you can eat of any of the trees, the, the choice that you have is eat of any of the trees, the tree of life or the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And here's the thing, there's this one tree you can't, this one tree in the center I want you to leave alone, and that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, leave it alone. Satan, I want you to hear this, started all of this in the garden by distorting Adam and Eve's image of the character of God. Now here's the partial truth, and that is that Satan will a lot of times will not only just tell you a lie, but he'll tell you a, a partial truth, but you know like I do that a partial truth is a whole lie, right? Genesis 3 verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you can't eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Look at this. Of course we may eat of the fruit, Eve says, from the fruit of the garden. It's only from the fruit of the tree, look at this, in the middle of the garden, that we are not allowed to eat. That's the one you can't eat from, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. God was very plain with them. Now, verse 4, this is where the serpent, where Satan replies back to her. You won't die. Notice this. The serpent is telling her, you can't believe what God said. God knows, verse 5, that your eyes are going to be open as soon as you eat it. Look at this. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, here's the part that I've read it over and over and over again, but really only saw this, really saw this here recently, and I think it's important that you get it. Listen real quickly. That the Satan did not appeal to Eve's rebellious or sinful side. He, he, he approached her on the side of her worldview or her view of God. Notice what it says. It said that you will be like God. You will be like Him. So what he was saying was this. I, want, I know that God said this, but let me tell you how to be like God or how to be godly. A distorted view of what God originally had intended. The enemy was the wisest. He was the most shrewd serpent of them all. He knew that if he told Eve, hey, look, just go against God's plan and God's will, God doesn't, God, he, if he did all of that, she probably wouldn't have listened. But he appealed to the side of Eve that said, hey, it's just another way of looking at things. 
You can be like God. You can know as much as God. So look at what he's doing. He's appealing to her, not her sinful side, but her nature to be like God. After they sinned, if you read the whole story, Satan turns on them and says, Adam and Eve, you have completely blew it and God is finished with you. You know what? The story goes, but the truth of it is, Adam and Eve did blow it in the garden. But we find out, if you read this story, that God, it didn't mess God up. Most of us think God thought in his mind, now what am I going to do now? I've created this perfect couple who can walk around with no clothes on, don't realize that there's anything wrong or feel wrong about that, and they are perfect in every way. Amen. They're perfect in every way, and, and they're walking around in the garden. And if I, if, if, if the Satan messes them up, what am I going to do now? But we find in verse 15, we won't read it now, that God had a plan. God had a plan to send his son that he would bruise the head of the serpent. Come on, somebody. He'd put a hematoma on the side of the devil's head that he couldn't handle when he went to the cross at Calvary. He knew that his son would be the perfect spotless lamb that would come and take away the sins of the world all the way from Adam. Come on, somebody. Everything in the past, everything in the present, everything that would ever be in the future. One time, Jesus would need to die on the cross to take care of your sins and my sins. Amen. So that you and I could be like God, know God, in the way that he intended. Well, I don't know if God could ever use me. Can I tell you, from Adam all the way through the Bible, you're going to find up messed up people. You're going to find they didn't deserve God. You're going to find that they were people that they should have been dropped like a rock, but God loved them anyway. Only the shed blood of Jesus can redeem you from the place that you're in the messed up state that you're in, and give you purpose in your life. Regardless of where you're at and what's going on in your life, only Jesus can do that. You cannot really have a healthy view of God if your perspective of God is anything less than God's love constantly pursuing you. Come on, somebody. You cannot have a healthy view of God unless your perspective of God, if it's anything less than God's love, is constantly pursuing me. He loves me so much that He's not willing to leave me where I'm at. He wants to change my life. He wants to do something for me. What is this then? What's the bottom line? Is that God is good and He loves you even in a dysfunctional state, even in a messed up state, even in a jacked up state. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. You cannot, you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. But I'm going to tell you something right now that Jesus paid your bill and He is pursuing you because He wants to know you in a real way. Amen. And have a relationship with you. So what do we do? The second thing we got to do is learn to have a healthy perspective or live with a heavenly perspective. Now, living with a heavenly perspective brings us to the second prayer, and I'm, I'm going to try to close this as quick as I can. The second prayer is this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Paul's praying his second prayer over the church, and he says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Talking to the church of Colossae. We ask God, look at this, to give you complete knowledge of His will 
and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you will live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And while you, and all the while, look at this, you will grow. Somebody say grow. As you learn to know God better and better. I'm going to say it this way. The more you know God, the more faith-filled you become. The more you know about God, the more faith-filled you become, and the more your relationship with Him will grow. The more you understand that God cares about you and loves you, you've got to remember that God's got a perfect track record. From Adam to Revelations, come on somebody, from everybody in between, he has a perfect track record, and he's not willing to blow it on me, and he's not willing to blow it on you. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're experiencing, you need to thank God that you know who he is. Come on, listen to me. That you know who he is. You know what he has said about you. Come on, somebody. And you know what he's done in the past. That's God's promises. That's, are you with me? I said, that's God's promises. Let me say it again. That you know who God is. You know what he has done or what he has said. And you know what he has done in the past. Hebrews chapter 6. This is just a, some verses that talk about the promises of God. It says, God also bound himself with an oath. So that those received his promises could be perfectly sure. Look at this. That God would never change his mind about you. That God would never change his mind about you. So God has given us both his promises and an oath. These two things are unchangeable. Because it is impossible for God to lie. Man may lie. Friends may lie. God never lies. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge, look at this, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. You know what He just told us? In our circumstances, we've got to believe who He is. This means you've got to read your Bible. You know why some people don't know the promises of God? Because they don't read their Bible. They're waiting for someone to read it to them. You've got to know God's promises in every situation. And there's going to be situations in your life, regardless of your walk with God, that you're going to need to know the Word of God. When you're going through fear and you don't understand why I'm here, you need to ask yourself, why am I anxious, Lord? Why are my thoughts anxious? Do what David did. There are going to be times that you're going to need to know that God will supply your needs according to His riches and glory, that He is God Jehovah. You're going to need to know that He's your, your Redeemer, that He's your Sanctifier. You're going to need to know that He is your Shepherd according to Psalm 23. There's a lot you're going to need to know, but hear me, when you read the Bible, you'll begin to understand. My view of God has been somewhat messed up. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. The reason I can trust the Lord is because I know what God has said, I know what He's done, and He's got a reputation to protect. Would you stand with me?
I'm going to ask this morning for us to bow our heads and for just a few moments, everybody that's here with me. And maybe you're here this morning, you've been working on knowing who the real God is. Maybe you're trying to figure that out. But you do not have what I would call a relationship with Jesus. You're just, you just thought maybe coming to church was it. And that's, that's not it. I want to pray for you that have never had a real relationship with Jesus. I want to pray for you. I want to ask the prayer team if they would this morning, those that will help me to come and just stand for a few moments.